This week we have a fantastic individual. We have Holly Courtright, who is the Executive Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer at Navy Federal Credit Union, which is based in Vienna, Virginia. So in her role, she leads a 400-person team responsible for human capital. She focuses on supporting over 23,000 employees who serve our military members, veterans, and their families. Um, what, what a laudable goal. So Holly has a multifaceted role, which encompasses human capital strategy, human capital analytics, which I would imagine is a growing domain, employee engagement, talent acquisition, learning and talent development, diversity and inclusion, the list goes on and on and on. Holly has over 30 years of industry uh, experience leading HR professionals across many major U.S. companies, Lucian, Deltec, and Capital One uh, being some of them. Um, She lives in Vienna, Virginia. She's an avid yoga practitioner and an active member of her church community, uh, but most of all, she enjoys spending time with her husband and two children on family trips. Holly, it is so wonderful to have you on your show. Welcome. Thank you so much, Spencer and Jess. It's a real honor to be here. So I have to ask, um, Holly, you know, 30 plus years in in human uh, uh, resources, people, uh, and talent leading teams uh, helping organizations with their uh, talent development uh, needs. You know, years ago, did you see yourself in this role, having this kind of career? How did you find yourself in this role? Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to this place? Absolutely, Spencer. I actually started out in engineering. So a person who loved math and science growing up, went into engineering, industrial engineering. Then I went into systems consulting, technology consulting, and I quickly discovered I actually loved the people aspect of change and large-scale change, decided to go back to grad school for an MBA, came back out and went into human resource consulting, and I like to combine that analytics data background and see how you leverage that and use it to actually enable talent and growth. So I've always worked for growth-oriented companies. I've always worked for companies that were building and transforming. And how do you bring a business-viewed human capital and combine that with a phenomenal culture that encourages folks to grow, learn, develop, try new things, and deliver for their customers? So it feels like you were 30 years ahead of the curve, thinking about human capital in general, the industry as a whole, the practitioners, the leaders. It very much feels like it has become much more data-oriented, analytics-driven. Can you share with your vast perspective some of the major changes or trends that you've seen within the learning and development and and human capital space. Absolutely. And 
I probably lucked in a little bit into this space by process of elimination, maybe then foresight. But I think what happened with human capital is companies have recognized, of course, there is not enough talent to deliver everything that they need to do. And that's external talent, that's internal talent, that's growing talent. And so after you look at your financials and after you look at your products and services and what you're doing to deliver for customers, the fourth leg was always people and talent. And I think over the last years, especially the last 15 years, that is flipped. And organizations and companies and investors and stakeholders have started to look at people and talent up front, knowing that that is a competitive advantage as you go forward. And so in my career, I recognize that there has to be that upfront partnership with the business and that focus on people and talent has to be embedded in your strategy and business and people and talent have to work together to really deliver for the customers and bringing an analytical approach and perspectives and thoughts and ideas to that tends to get you to the table with the business unit leaders faster and tends to enable you to accelerate your plans a little bit. It sounds like you have direct oversight over your organizations. Not it sounds like you do have direct oversight over your organization's talent development efforts. But based on the nature of Navy Federal Credit Union, you it feels like you also have some adjacencies with a really deserving population. I want to make sure I get this right. So Navy Federal Credit Union is the world's largest credit union with 12 million members, over 23,000 employees, but you focus on serving the armed forces, Department of Defense, veterans, and their families. And so it feels like you have an adjacent role in helping the DOD's, you know, people and talent efforts as well. Uh, did you feel that way? Absolutely. It is an incredible mission that we have as an entity. We are serving the financial health of our military members, veterans, their families, the DOD, and enabling them to have safety security, opportunities to buy their first home, to loan their first car, to build a business as a veteran, all of that in times of economic turmoil make this mission so incredibly important. So we believe that to be successful with that mission, and we've been on a digital transformation to deliver more and more to our members, as well as an organization, that we have to have phenomenal talent that we care for and we support and develop and grow because they're the ones that deliver that incredible service to our members and enable our members to go on and take on this mission, whether they're deployed, whether they're veterans who are taking a second career and the family members that need that support uh, throughout the world around the globe. One of the questions we've been putting to our guests has to do with lessons learned during the pandemic. And so as you think about this question, think about it from the perspective of serving the whole individual, both your employees at uh, 
Navy Federal, as well as your uh, members as well. Um, what are some of the lessons that you learned as, as a result of the uh, pandemic, and how are you putting some of those learnings into practice right now? One of my biggest lessons is the empathy that is required in the world of work and in people's lives today with the challenges they face. And that empathy extends to our members and how we support them in challenging financial times with all changes in jobs and the economy and how you support, how you listen, how you truly understand their individual uniqueness and then how you respond and maybe how you take that response to an aggregate population to help them even more. The same is true with our team members and our employees across Navy Federal who are working around the clock on the phone to support our members. What we needed to do was different than what we had to do before COVID. We had people working in their homes on the phones around the clock. We had people who took extraordinary measures to put things in place that would enable more funds, more loans, more access to things for our members. And so we had to treat them with empathy. We had to bring additional tools to the table. And we had to recognize that work and life are no longer separate. They are intertwined forever. And how do we help people have an integration that would work for them? And we had to introduce great flexibility. And we had to learn as an organization to understand individuals and to then kind of multiply that to offer better things for our entire population. Jess, any thoughts or questions? <laughs> yeah, lots. Um, you know, Holly, Spencer already covered this, you know, 23,000 employees, 12 million members, biggest credit union country. Uh, last numbers I saw, just shy of $7 billion a year in revenue. Is that about right? Yeah, we actually just tipped up to 13 million members. Oh, uh, so don't short me a don't short me a million. Cross that threshold, very exciting for us. And you know, we have about 165 billion in assets. So in reality, we're a top 25 bank. And yeah. with that population around the globe and the criticality of the mission they deliver, it's all about what can we do to really understand our members from the outside in and then create products and services that best serve them and help them to live incredible lives uh, with their families and have great finances as they move forward. Yeah, no kidding. Well, you know, I, I bring this up in every one of these mini series that um, I was excited to do this mini series with Spencer specifically because I'm, I'm typically focused more often with uh, investment fund managers and CEOs of rapidly growing companies, especially ones getting over the billion mark. And so many of them, they don't have a background in HR or leadership development per se. They they were in sales. They were in engineering, you know, before they founded their business. And so uh, I love for them to get advice from professionals like yourself who who do this at such scale. Um, but But maybe here, I'll go a little more specific. You look at the turmoil, you know, Silicon Valley Bank, um, you know, we're starting to see, like in my world, in commercial real estate, um, the folks who maybe they borrowed too much or were too optimistic about being able to roll over their debt. Uh, you're, you're seeing some fire sales happening already. There's, there's certainly a lot of folks that are expecting more of that through 2024. 
Um, I guess my question would be your advice for CEOs as they think about leading through times of change. And, you know, there's obviously uh, going to be some some real heartache from people who borrowed too much and, and uh, were not prudent in some of those choices. And there's going to be big opportunities, just like there was 2009, 2010, 2011. Um, that that you guys are going to have the opportunity to help service members and, and people like that to capitalize on. So any thought for these senior leaders, these CEOs of, you know, leading sign- like large, large teams through times of uncertainty? Yeah, absolutely. And I've worked at midsize organizations. I've, I've worked in your world, uh, Jess, quite a bit. And then at large companies. And Building growth is exciting. Um, It is one of the things I love to do because there's transformation happening all the time. Um, And as you get larger and you have more scale, you're still growing, you're growing exponentially, but there's this concept of, I like to call it smart growth, that comes into play, right? And that, I think, is where human capital comes into the equation, short-term and long-term. So... How do you play that short-term game where you have to deliver, you have to deliver on your profitability, your revenue goals, uh, you have to deliver for your stakeholders. In our case, we're member-owned, so it's our members, and we want to deliver for them and continue to innovate. And at the same time, how do you think about the longer term? And I think a lot of human capital is longer term. Where you get into trouble is when you're only focused on the short term because you're not playing the long-term avenue. So I think for CEOs and and leaders of large organizations, it's how do you do both? How do you deliver in that short-term while you're making the investments and trade-offs that will ensure you have the talent you need for the future? So today already, how are you thinking about incorporating AI and the skills that you need that's going to make you successful in the future not knowing the ultimate outcome of AI and where we're all going to land uh, and leveraging that in the future. But how are you building that today? And I think a lot of cases, that's where human capital comes in. And he, that focus on people and talent, development of talent and the culture you build that aligns to your mission and your strategy probably needs to start an earlier focus sometimes than you're thinking about when you are go, 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 and you're just trying to deliver those numbers. Yeah, let's talk about some of that long-term thinking. You know, I, I, I actually really want to talk about AI, but let's start with things that don't change, okay? Like like human nature and how like truly great leaders, you know, people who have asked themselves the hard questions and um, done the hard work on themselves to, you know, make the right decisions when they're hard instead of taking the easy wrong decision when nobody will know, you know, like, like that self-mastery, they become such magnetic people, right? And this is the, you know, Jeff Bezos, Amazon, you know, what are the things that never change, right? Um, I'm interested, when you think of maybe like a, a tactical, practical tip, um, when it comes to like long-term, deep leadership development that will matter no matter what technology we're using, uh, what's... What's one of your favorite mechanisms or what's something that you don't see everyone else do or what's something more granular you could you could give us an example of there? Absolutely. And I'll talk about two things that I think are really powerful together. And I think you you mentioned self-mastery. Um, I have uh, 
a background in coaching as well. And I 1000% believe in leaders who have gone through that curiosity about themselves and that self-mastery and that kind of servant leadership focus, because I think those individuals are the ones that are phenomenal coaches. And so I think it's really key that if you're going to grow and support transformation with talent around you, that your ability to develop talent is really about your culture and your leaders. And are they they coaches and developers of talent? And do they hold themselves to that standard as much as everything else they might be delivering around products and services um, for their members and customers? And that's a challenge because you have to create time and space for that. And that's why it's a long-term play because you're investing time today for what's going to show up in the future. So how do you be a coach you and a leader who asks great questions and that helps people find their insights? How do you encourage teams to be self-governed and really powerful teams that challenge each other and debate and try solutions that don't work and fail and then go on to the next thing. And I think a lot of that from a leadership standpoint is coaching and empowering and developing talent. I think if you partner that with Jess, my other piece would be learning and development is phenomenal and we have amazing programs here that we do. Um, And I think a lot of it is through our rotations and our development on the job and giving people these big stretch roles maybe that they never thought that they were ready for and could take on and do and giving those opportunities and surrounding them with coaches and team members and peers that are mentoring them and helping guide them and then you see them blossom and you see them take on new things that you never thought possible you got to create the space and environment for that though because that often comes down to I don't have the money or I don't have the headcount. I can't take a chance because the skill set's really important to me. That's the short term versus the long term that I was mentioning, Jeff. That's the trade off you have to make. Yeah. So um, let's say we've got somebody listening today, whether they're uh, in, you know, human resources leadership or just corporate leadership that are saying like, no, I think I've got the guts. I think I've got the guts to make the long term investment and make time for stuff that isn't just going to pay off for this quarter. Um can you, can you like, let's get like really granular. This idea of like giving somebody a stretch goal, you say surround them by coaches and support. Like, is this, is this on a, on a website somewhere? Is this just a one-on-one with their manager and there's reporting? Like, what does that, what does that actually look like for like tactical practical? I think it's all of the above that you just mentioned, Jeff. It's like a system uh, of development. I do think the one-on-one coaching and mentoring is super powerful. Right. But I also think teams learn and grow together. So, for example, we're going through this digital transformation. We have all these insights coming out uh, about our members. And now we're starting to segment customers. We're putting teams together that are focused on certain member populations and they're working horizontally across the whole company together. They're crossing every business unit, every product line, and every service we have as a horizontal team to say, How do we learn and grow together based on this data and insights to drive new solutions and partner with our friends uh, on the technology side and the product side to deliver new solutions to these members, right? That's a learning experience cross-functionally 
and empowerment all together and like a design in a way to operate that's very different maybe than a hierarchy where I'm in one group and my job is car loans. And I got to have the best car loans out there. Well, well, maybe for these members, they need something different around car loans because they're going to have their first experience taking out a loan on a car. And theirs is a very different need than our veterans who, you know, are three cars in. So that's a, to me, just it's like a learning experience with the team of people and need that you grow and learn together. And then there's, you know, obviously programs. We have an executive development program where they learn a whole bunch. We partner with Darden and they go through this program and then they have a rotation where we put them in a different part of the business they've never been close to in a leadership role. And, they and, learn and how long, that. yeah, how long will they go over to that other division? Uh, nine months. Yeah. And how, pretty, how is the success on that nine months evaluated? So, well, I think there's a couple ways, and I'll be honest and say we don't have all the metrics figured out on that, Jess. That's the holy grail, right? But what we have looked at is over time with those folks that have graduated and gone on to rotate, what does their career trajectory and promotion path and performance look like vis-a-vis others? Uh, we have some great high potentials that are in senior executive roles in the company right now, so we've been pretty successful with that. But also, in the short term, what we see is people ask those folks to stay in their business unit versus going back to where they were. Or people invite them into a new role in their organization vis-a-vis where they were before. I've had folks rotate out of HR and, and do additional positions, which is pretty incredible. So I think there is a, a series of things that need to happen that support development. And you we're trying to... Uh, kind of segment our employee population like we do our members and figure out what accelerates the quickest learning and development for each group. Yeah. Well, Spencer, what kind of ideas does this bring up for you? I know that you your, your whole life is working with big giant corporations and, and helping them think their, their long-term visions and related issues here. Perfect. Well, I'd lo- I love this program, uh, this executive rotation program, Holly. How long has it been in existence? Okay, this is way before I even started here. So this has been in the organization probably 15 years that it's been going on. So it's pretty substantial. It doesn't happen every single year. We had a little break during COVID and some things like that. And we're actually starting to do also some additional rotations through other development programs we've had because it's been so valuable. So we have some folks that are expired aspiring leaders and we've actually rotated them so i had someone in my talent acquisition organization who was rotated over to member services and risk management interesting for example interesting well so this concept is reminding me of a comment or an idea that malcolm gladwell put to one of his interviewers and he said you know i i think when it comes to you know, effective ways of accelerating talent and identifying talent when it comes to corporate America, maybe we're coming at this the wrong way. Right now, it's kind of this negative sentiment that if within five, six, seven weeks, it doesn't work out between the new hire and the organization, that that's kind of a black mark. And his feeling was, no, that's part of life in terms of 
identifying, figuring out what works for both parties. And much like you have this executive rotation program, um, I'm sure there's a lot of learnings that are happening. But how how would you react to Malcolm Gladwell's comment about, well, maybe we should think differently on the front end of, of bringing talent in? Absolutely agree with that. I mean, over 30 years, I have seen people move into new roles and be successful. I've seen people move into new roles and it not be a fit, and then they go on to do other things, right? People's capabilities and skills change over time. People have significant events that happen in their lives that causes them to view learning in an entirely different way, where they finally find the leader who untaps their potential and they're able to move forward. Um, we bring a lot of folks in at entry level in our organization. We have a lot of people that work what we call in our front lines directly with our members. We build a whole program to help those folks who are interested in technology be upskilled in technology fields, and then they go on to be engineers. And so that's not for everyone, but we've been super impressed with the people that have gone through that program and are now working as engineers in our cloud group. And so not everybody is going to stay in one area, and sometimes it doesn't work right away. And we are very good, I think, about giving people other opportunities in other roles and trying to leverage their strengths and trying to figure out where they can learn and grow and what they do, you know, how would we help them do things differently? We have internal team members who have volunteered to be career coaches and work through that with folks through our Navy Federal University, and that's what they help them figure out. I love this. And it goes back to like this emerging field of talent analytics. And I think more and more organizations are realizing, I don't know if this is because of or in spite of AI, that career pathing really needs to be a core competency within the organization. And 23,000 employees is not an insignificant number. To me, that represents a considerable and very deep pool of talent across the country. Um, how, it sounds like you are the architect and guardian uh, and champion of th this career pathing mindset within uh, Navy Federal. Can you speak to that a little bit? And I think, you know, everyone's in a different spot in their career journeys. And so we have built this online university because we have 23,000 employees. You can't do this one-to-one -one always. We built a university that helps people walk through with tools what they might be interested in their careers. But what we discovered as part of that, that was a really great first step. But then what we discovered was it wasn't enough. So it might give you enough to give someone an inkling of where they want to head and additional skills they might be interested in and how they leverage their strengths. But then they needed people to just talk to them and ask questions and coach them on what the opportunities could be like. And some of our folks who haven't worked in a, other, in a lot of other organizations didn't even know what possibilities were out there. I do think this is where AI helps us as we go forward, actually, because we've done this now with coaching and people that do this as we further our systems, you're going to have more of this information available in the system and AI helps you match 
uh, more on an automated basis. So that's where we're headed. But right now, we have people that work with folks, and our goal is to actually train more and more of our leaders, think about supervisors and manager level, to be able to have those dialogues and conversations and help guide people. I have found during since COVID, as we bring on college hires and interns, and this is their first work experience or second work experience, they need guidance. They don't automatically know even what their strengths are and how to leverage them. They need someone to walk them through this dialogue and conversation and help them make some educated bets on where they go next. And by the way, nobody's career is linear anymore. You're going to go back and forth and zigzag and you have to make that culturally acceptable. That's something we're still working on, you know, and encourage that in people. Um, although I do find that the entry level talent it is up for that. They're like, sure, I'll try that. I just need a guide to help me figure that out. I, I love that term, like culturally acceptable within an organization. As you said that, it reminded me of just seeing a switchback going up a mountain and realizing that few people can actually go from the base to the summit in a linear fashion. Um, I, I love that. Um, let me ask this question. It, it feels to me, it sounds to me that you are a master coach. And so to what extent does coaching as a competency run as a unifying thread through your uh, internal university from entry level all the way up to your executive team? Is, is that a core competency? We are building that, uh, Spencer. We actually are rolling out a new leadership model and it will, it will be in there. I will tell you, we are in build mode and transformation mode around that. I am a huge believer in coaching and we have been leveraging it over the last couple of years here. But I'll be honest, we couldn't build it fast enough. So we're doing two parallel paths. We're working with outside organizations. Better Up is an example of that, who's helping us bring coaching at scale into the organization and support our leaders in their own development. And then we are also building the competencies around coaching with our leaders and how you do that and how do you do that in day to day how do you do that over the long term and building up those capabilities over time so we kind of take in parallel paths on that hoping they'll meet <laughs> it's fascinating well i wish you all the luck because i am remembering the early days of my career just and not being able to articulate it, but needing, needing that, needing that mentor, needing that, uh, needing that coaching. So shifting gears, uh, thinking back on your, um, you know, your storied career, everything that you've learned, everything that you've seen, what advice would you have for newly minted graduates who are entering your field, uh, what would you tell them? I would tell them to embrace every opportunity they see, take advantage of it. Um, when I when I meet with our interns across the org, including my own interns, take risks and try out new things. Early in career, 
is the time where you're going to get the multiplier impact on these experiences. So try something new, try a new role. I always encourage folks to network and leverage uh, the relationships they have across the organization. You never know where you're going to go or where you're going to end up. And someone is going to look out for you and provide an opportunity. And if the opportunities are coming your way and you're not being tapped, you go find them yourself by doing a great job, having people speak for you about what you're able to do, seeing that you want to learn and grow and develop and people knowing that. And then you go make your own opportunities. You can do it both ways. Be open to that because both will happen over the course of your career. And that's phenomenal. Um, and just take every opportunity to learn, to try out new things, to figure out what kind of cultures do you like to work in? What types of teams, you know, enable you to shine your best? Uh, what are the challenging situations where you learn the most? And try and put yourselves in those different scenarios over time and leverage others to help you get there. Uh, we're very lucky we have people in our organization that care enough to be career coaches and support talent and give people opportunities to move and grow and develop. And that's the kind of company you wanna work in. Love it. Jess, any thoughts or questions? I can see the wheels turning. <laughs> yeah, well, um, you know, the word coaching has come up a number of times in this conversation and that's a, real hot button for me. You know, I, after City, I was a 28 year old CEO of a private equity fund, didn't know what I was doing. So I got a CEO coach and it completely changed everything. So then I started doing CEO coaching for other CEOs for free. And then eventually went and worked for the consulting firm I'd hired before. And, and so I've done that for the last kind of 11, 12 years. And, and, uh, I have a, I own a separate company called Influential Leaders where we actually teach those skills. Our, you know, our clients have been like, um, Google and Intel and U S special ops and stuff. And it's like, it's like a real passion for me because it changed my life so much. So I want to hear from you. Like, yep. what what do you think? What do you think makes like like there's good coaches, there's great coaches, and then there's those just like world class coaches. What do you think makes those like world class life changing coaches? What's different about them? Like all of us, I think they they learn through their experiences, and that helps them be an incredible coach. Uh, I also think. There's a selflessness and there's um, there's an altruistic component of coaching as well where you can be curious and interested enough more so than you are about yourself but in others. And your whole entire goal is to help people with their development, their story. Like we all have our stories. We all have these experiences we've had that have made us think of ourselves a certain way, you know. Mine was I have to be uber competent and I, I'm not good with rejection. And that made me operate certain ways in my life. And a great coach is going to help you figure out what that is about yourself and why you operate the way you do. And then they're going to give you, by asking you questions, a way to see things differently, um, to be a sounding board and to help you figure out okay, I do things a certain way because of that, but here's all these strengths I want to leverage. So how do I put this together and gather feedback from all the folks around me and view it as a gift that then helps me move forward in a new way? And great coaches help people get out of their own heads, figure that out, and then leveraging feedback and insights and great questions help you figure out your way forward in 
the unique way you as a leader can have the biggest impact on others, right? It's not to model a certain way, but you as a leader and having leaders with different styles figure out how you have the greatest impact in developing others and a recognition that one of the best things you can do for your organization and developing the talent of the future. You know, I I love that. So I had a coaching session with my coach last night at like the end of the day. And it's like, as you're talking, I'm like, oh yeah, that's why I keep, that's why I keep doing this. Um, you know, okay. Since I, since this, you know, I'm co-hosting the show, I'm going to abuse my power here. I'm always trying to talk. I'm always trying to talk executives into this idea of like why it's worth taking their boss hat off for an hour for a one-on-one and like doing coaching, not as a boss, but like trying to like earn trusted advisor status where you're genuinely just there for the staff and they can like, they can go back and put their boss hat on for, you know, 159 hours a month. But for that hour, take your boss hat off. If you were going to help me pitch executives on why they may want to, you know, set their power aside for a second and just be that servant leader, what, what's your pitch? What are you trying to do when you walk into a group as a boss or as a non-boss? As soon as you walk in as a boss, you have a thought in your head about outcomes, control, delivery, how, strategy, how this happens. You walk in as a non-boss. I had two individuals on my team come and share some information with me about their talent acquisition program approach for interns and college hires. And I was not their boss. All right. They have a boss. They just wanted to share. It's the most delightful hour of my day where we were just talking. I was asking questions and we were bantering back and forth and dialoguing with thoughts and ideas. And you know what? Those two folks walked away and had all these light bulbs that went off on things they then went off to do. Not because I had an answer. I didn't. And I wasn't the boss giving them the answer because we had a great conversation and I asked some questions maybe that nobody asked, but they were inspired in connecting the dots themselves and they figured out how to go do it in a new and different way and move it forward. I can think of nothing better. That's a multiplier effect that they go back and impact the rest of their team. And I couldn't have done that as the boss because as the boss, I would have been like, please tell me your five objectives here and what you're trying to accomplish and how is that getting delivered? <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's a very, uh, it's funny how often examples are better than explanations. <laughs> and that's just such a great example because like we get to feel like we're there in that conversation with you. I, I love that. Um, okay. My other thing that I wanted to dig deeper into before I hand it back to Spencer is I look at the way that marketing was always treated as like this, this fuzzy art and it wasn't very trackable. It wasn't very accountable. And then as marketing analytics showed up, it became a whole different sport. And it feels like there's such an opportunity, um, for corporations in general, and especially HR departments to almost invent a different sport by actually knowing what's going on instead of it having, you know, feeling vague sometimes. When you think about excellence in HR analytics, what's an example to you? Absolutely. It is so critical. And there are some similarities between marketing and HR and the evolutions that we're, we're, we are going through for sure. Um, so when I think about analytics and the excellence that 
comes with this and what you can do. In my mind, you're trying to serve up data and insights that help leaders make better decisions about talent. Like that's the whole goal in my mind. It's not calling court right. It's these incredible leaders I have at Navy Federal and helping them make decisions about talent. So from an analytics standpoint, how you, same thing we're doing for our members. How do you bring all this data and analysis together to come up with some new perspectives that help you understand from a learning and development standpoint, we've talked a lot about that. What actually does accelerate development? Are the people that we're putting through these programs actually our highest performers or our hypos or our folks that move on and take on the most critical roles that have the biggest value or not, right? And then how does that intersect with the whole employee experience? We have so much data about what our employees think, whether we own it or they're providing data in other places that we can collect and analyze. How are we using that to craft a better experience for all of them, which motivates, empowers, makes them feel trusted and safe and creates their desire to do exponentially new things and try and innovate and drive growth? That nexus of all that data and information coming together and someone being a guide to connect the dots and then partner with leaders on that, I think that is really the power behind HR analytics and it's connecting it business out it's not it's like here's your talent information well how did that business unit do where we had all those hypos working compared to this one over here you know for our for our customers that ultimately and we don't do that perfectly by any stretch of the imagination we're at the beginning of this journey of how we put those together but i'll be honest even just being able to have a conversation with a leader about this like we're having here today has a business impact because it makes them connect something they're doing with their talent with something they're trying to deliver from a business standpoint or for a member. That is the value of HR. It's the connection between business and people and talent. So uh, I promise again, hand this back to Spencer. Uh, thinking about this, so so some leader makes the investment. Yes, I think it's okay for my people to go to the internal university and learn some coaching skills or send out to to, we're going to send them external to Spencer's organization to go get a certificate or a degree or something. How often do you think leaders should be tracking? Because you gather a lot of data, but if it just stays in the computer, it doesn't do any good, right? So like coming back and saying like, okay, we invested this. How often should we be tracking along the way to, to make a conclusion whether our, our guess was right and that was a good investment? Yeah, um, I think there's different measures that load themselves to tracking quarterly, and then there's others that are longer-term measures. And so you have to look at both. I mean, we try and have quarterly dialogues on talent in all of our business units. I, I think you need to do that in a, we're going through a digital transformation, fast-changing world, we have competitive pressures. You aren't talking about it quarterly, I'm not sure it's gonna happen. But then just to your point about other metrics, sometimes you can't measure the results on this talent development piece until a year out, two years out, three years out, right? So you measure what you can in the short term and you try and track progress. Some of these other measures come a little bit later. So that's the kind of rotation impact, right? You're trying to measure it in the short term, then you get measures in the long term, then you go course correct, 
and hopefully your measures in the short term get better. And then you ultimately hit those long-term goals that you want from a talent standpoint. Some of it's a gamble. Some of it won't work out. And some of those metrics will give you what you want. And then like, do you get enough information finally where you're like, all right, I feel like 80% confident in the bets I'm mating and that's going to be good enough to move it forward. Well, okay. I'm feeling guilty. I'm going to have to go put actual calendar items on my calendar with my leadership team. (laughs) I go like, we're going to do the quarterlies and we're going to do an annual because like what gets calendared gets done. Spencer, I know uh, this is bringing well, up ideas for you. What, what do you got for real us? Real ideas. I, I love this conversation. Holly, you have hired or helped hire thousands of individuals in your career. Uh, we will be putting this podcast out to uh, a, a, a deep and wide pool of talent. Uh, where should these individuals go? to learn more about Navy federal opportunities. Oh, absolutely. Please go to NavyFederal.org and we have tons of information on our career page about what we offer, about our culture, our mission. Uh, We love to find folks who are interested in our mission and want to bring their innovative skills and perspectives and thoughts and ideas to our org, and we'd love to have people join us and grow with us. Um, We have a lot of folks that have been here for a long time because they love the company and the culture and our mission, and we love growing folks, and uh, we would be happy to have anyone take a look. That's wonderful. It sounds like you also have a very robust internship program, and so for those seeking, they'll also find it on that page. Is that right? Absolutely. On the careers page, there's a whole host of information on our internship and this is perfect timing because we start looking already in September for interns for the following summer so take a look right now you're in the sweet spot on the timing Holly Jeff and I can't thank you enough for imparting your hard-won wisdom uh, with us and our listeners thank you so much thank you Spencer thank you Jess this was a delightful conversation Navy Federal Credit Union is an equal opportunity employer.